All right. <clears throat> good morning, Transit family. Good morning. Feel free to grab your seats. Stop being friendly and nice. Find your seat. Yes. Good to see you guys. How's everyone doing this morning? Amen. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if this is your first time at the Transit Church, we're super excited that you chose to spend your Easter uh, Sunday morning with us. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. And for Easter, we are... <clears throat> oh, my, let me uh, <clears throat> get some warm water on my throat there. I have a voice cracking. Uh, we are going through a sermon series on Ephesians called Between Two Worlds. If you don't know what the book of Ephesians uh, is, it's actually a letter written by this guy named the Apostle Paul, who had his life powerfully changed by the resurrected Jesus. And uh, he's writing this letter to believers in the city uh, of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing it actually while imprisoned in Rome, awaiting execution for being a follower of Jesus. And he's writing this letter to encourage new believers to stay steadfast in their love and their allegiance to Jesus in the midst of a hostile world. That um, in the city of Ephesus, uh, where they are being disenfranchised and persecuted in that community. And so we, that's where we've been at. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Our text is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, tap them on, turn them on, or turn to Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. And if you were with us last week, you know that last week we looked at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And what um, the main theme there, the title of that message, was the importance of remembrance. The importance of remembrance, where we will take for granted where we uh, now live if we forget where we used to live. If we forget where we once lived, we'll take for granted where we now live. And so one of the key lines in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, is the Apostle Paul reminding these new believers and these new Christians in Ephesus. He's saying, you were once dead in your sins and your trespasses, following the course of this world. He's reminding them of their past. And so what we talked about last week, we used this illustration with that big windstorm of what does it mean to be dead in your sins and trespasses? Well, um, we know that we exist to be connected to God. You exist to be in right relationship with God. And where death comes is when you and I, humanity, is separated from our source of life. God exists. He is the source of our life, our hope, our joy, uh, our love. He, and we, we exist to be in fellowship and communion with him. And sin, what our sin does, where we turn our backs on God and say, we don't want anything to do with you. We're God. You're not. We're going to do what we want. That sin severs us from that connection of life. And so now we might be walking, but actually we're spiritually dead. Just like this. If you guys remember this guy from last week. Anyone remember this guy from last week? Yeah. We had the kids present last week, so I got some object lessons up here, all right? So this thing's been in my office all week. You're like, Dick, did you really keep this in your... Yes, I kept this in my office. I was hoping for the sake of the sermon illustration, it'd be like brown, you know, and there'd just be a few leaves. Still kind of green, but it's actually, you can't see it. Uh, I got the high def uh, vision up here, so I can see that it's actually withered. It's actually more dry. And so, yeah, there's still some life left, but this thing's biggest need, as it's dead and its sins and, and trespasses just sitting in the dirt, is its only shot is getting reconnected to the tree, getting reconnected to the source of life. And that's the great news that we're celebrating on Easter Sunday today is what Jesus Christ has done to make us alive and reconnect us to the source of life. So our text today, Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, the three things we're going to be talking about today and then we'll dive in is this. Um, who rescued us? Two, when we were dead in our sins and trespass, trespasses, who rescued us? Uh, the second point is how did he rescue us? And the third point is why 
did he rescue us? So let me read this text and we'll pray and dive in. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your undoing. It is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you grateful. We come before you so full of thanksgiving and praise that you always welcome us with open arms. That's your heart today. And I pray, Lord, that your heart will be communicated through the preaching of your word today by your spirit. Lord God, that you'd minister to our hearts. You'd wash away the lies we've believed about your character, your nature, your posture towards us. For anyone who, when they think of God, they think of a, someone who has a scowl on their face, that that would be washed away and they'd see your smile with open arms inviting them to come closer, to come near to the source of life. So Lord, we come today celebrating the fact that, uh, Jesus, you have resurrected. You've conquered our greatest enemies. You've canceled our debt of sin. You took that to the cross and you shot through the, the grave, Lord God, overcoming death showing us that there's beautiful life beyond the grave for those who are bound to you by faith, Lord God. And we celebrate uh, that, that, that refrain in the, in the worship song we were singing, that hallelujah, it is finished. Hallelujah, it is done. And you, Jesus, were the one who did it. And so I pray right now, Lord, that all eyes would be on you, Jesus. That Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd open up our eyes to see you rightly. By the work of your spirit, through your word, give us eyes to see you, to see where you're seated to see what you've done. So would you do that? Would you increase today and would I decrease? And pray this in your name. Amen. All right, point number one, who rescued us? What is crystal clear in uh, the text we just read, the crystal clear implication in our text, the point that Paul is driving home, is that when we talk about salvation and how we get restored back to salvation, restored back to the trunk of that tree and life in God forever, there's one person who gets credit, and it was God. It was not our own doing. If you were to look at this text and kind of audit, take note of, and categorize all the verbs that are mentioned, all the rescuing actions that are mentioned, we see that there is only one person at work in salvation. There's only one person who gets credit. All the activity, all the effort, all the work belongs to God alone. And unless Paul wasn't clear, he says it louder in verse 8 for all the people in the back, and he says this in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The point Paul is making, if you are here today and you, are, you have been saved from your sins, and you've been saved from being separated from God, and you've been restored back to life, you can't take any credit. Unless a drowning man can take credit for drowning, you can take credit for your salvation. Right? That's all we contribute, right? Is the fact that we needed rescue. All we contribute to our salvation is that we had sin that we needed to be rescued from and that we couldn't do it. Somebody else had to do it. So if a drowning man could take credit for being rescued because he was drowning, maybe that's a different story, but you, that's what Paul's saying. You can't do it. So what we learn about our salvation, about how a dead branch gets made alive and restored back to God, what we learn is that salvation isn't something we deserve. It's actually something we don't deserve. 
Salvation isn't something you work for. Salvation is something already accomplished for you. Salvation isn't something you achieve. It's something you receive. Salvation isn't what you do for God. Listen, it's what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And the reason I want to just kind of lean into this, one, it's in our, in our text today, uh, but the second point is this. We were to ask the question, how do we get saved? Who, who rescued us? The answer is not us, but God. But God being rich in mercy. That's who did it. And the reason I want to highlight that is because I think the number one uh, mistake that people make is they believe in God. Right? They, they look at creation. They look at the design. I love Saju a couple weeks ago talking about the human eye and the complexity of the human eye. And uh, I did some more research after Saju mentioned that, and I'm going to piggyback off that. I believe it's 300 million cells in one eye. 300 million single-celled organisms working in unity to give you focus and to, to, to remember, to, to categorize memories, to, to, to look at what's on the screen, right, to, to, to zoom in, to zoom out. 300 million cells working together. I mean, you know at work, you got a group project, the three of you can barely hardly work together, right? <laughs> we got 300 million cells. I think it's like, I forgot how many single, we're, we're, you realize that we're in the presence of living miracles today, right? All the single-celled organisms that make you and I working in, I mean, you talk about the respiratory system, the nervous system, just the human brain alone. And so a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's, I feel it's a, the, the most rational deduction is that God exists, but here's where we make the mistake, is we make the mistake, okay, God exists, but now the way that I uh, earn his favor and, and enter into heaven is that if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I get in, right? And so then what that does is, is, is your life now is tryouts for the team, right? Anyone here play high school sports? Yeah, I was, I was a hockey player growing up. So you know, whether it's soccer or basketball or uh, curling, if you're from up the north, I didn't even play curling. Anyways, but you know that when you're trying to make that varsity team, man, or that travel team, Right, that you, there's tryouts, and, 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 and when you're doing tryouts, the whole purpose is I have to perform, and then I'll make the team. And the coach has his checklist, right? And you're running drills. Can you make it to the blue line and back and under whatever, this amount of seconds? And what you're doing when you're on the ice, see, this line of thinking, if you think um, uh, that you can actually earn God's favor, um, it leads to two, two things. It leads to either self-righteousness or self-loathing. Self-righteousness, you step on the ice and you realize, hey, I know I ain't no Wayne Gretzky, but I sure ain't that bozo over there who can barely stand up on the ice, right? I'm not Mother Teresa, but I'm not Hitler, right? And so, so it leads to you kind of sizing yourself up and not realizing that God's standards are far above any horizontal standard that we can have. So nobody, what Scripture says is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, we talked about this last week. We've all once were dead in our sins and trespasses. And so we, we need grace. We need forgiveness. None of us on the day of judgment can stand before God, puff out our chest, and say, you have to let me in because look at what I've done. Well, I know I ain't Mother Teresa. I know I didn't do all that, but I'm surely ain't Hitler. So you have to. So at least in this self-righteousness where we, we base our morality on, on just basically, as, and this is, this is a, the funny part about it, as long as the rest of humanity acts really, really awful, then I, then I got a shot. Right? That's what it is. Not realizing that Jesus, he lands the play in the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, he says, he says what about your thought life? What about your heart? That's, that's, that's where all this is, is, is born. So let's talk about your thoughts. So we, we, we need total redemption. If we're, if we're in our sins, we need, we need to be brought to new life. And so it leads to self-righteousness is one part. But then it leads to self-loathing. Where maybe that's how you think the game works. Maybe you believe in God and you're trying, man. You're trying your best and you're, you're working your fingers to the bone to atone for your sins and you're just doing your best. You're doing all these things to try to earn God's favor. 
And you realize that you just keep falling short again. There's roads you keep walking down that you wish you, could, you would never walk down again. There's things coming out of your mouth at home that you just wish would not come out of your mouth. There's thoughts that you're wrestling, compulsions that you're wrestling with, and you realize, I can't do this. I can't do this. And it crushes you. And so both of those, if, if this is tryouts and God's just got the checkboard at the end of the day, then, then we're all toast, right? And that leads to a life of misery and surely doesn't lead to salvation because salvation isn't up to us and our works. It's up to somebody else's works. And in contrast to that, the great news today that we're celebrating in Jesus' death and his resurrection is found in verse 2. It's by grace that we have been saved, restored to right relationship with God. It is a gift of God and it's not our own doing. So here's what we know, is that salvation is actually because of works. Salvation is actually because of works, not our works, the work of Christ, right? So I'm not saying that there wasn't any work involved. I'm just saying it wasn't your works. We can't take credit for it. So that's who rescued us. That's who saved us, right? So I was, uh, anyone here know Build-A-Bear? Anyone been to Build-A-Bear recently? Yeah, I got a, I got, I got a couple of y'all. Um, so on April 7th, uh, which was a couple days ago on Friday, it was uh, my wife and I's 11th year wedding anniversary. Yeah, so we went to Build-A-Bear. Just kidding, we didn't go to Build-A-Bear for that reason. Um, <laughs> you're like, wait, what? Um, so we went to, and it was also my daughter's birthday, okay? So uh, if you go to Build-A-Bear on your birthday, you get to buy a bear given the, amount, the dollar amount for how old you are, right? So I'd be buying an expensive bear. I didn't buy one, but I got, bought, bought one for my five-year-old and my seven-year-old for five and seven bucks. But I said, yo, they ain't getting no add-ons. We're going in here. You're... <laughs> Your bear ain't walking around in Air Jordans, all right? And, you know, like, that's how they get you at Build-A-Bear, all right? So what's amazing is um, we go on Friday. I'd never been before. And if I did, I, I forgot. And I didn't go by choice. Anyways, but um, we walk in, and there comes a moment where um, my kids are at this little box, and there's the birthday bears. And one of them is uh, uh, Pudding, and the other one's name is Cuddles, okay? And so... I didn't, <laughs> in case you guys were wondering, and, um, and they pick, and, and they're like, hey, pick a bear, and I thought the bear were already, like, filled up, right, and they pull the bear out, and it's just skin, it's, it's, it's dead, it's flapping in the, it's like, it's like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's, it's like the picture of, like, it's dead in its sins and trespasses, right, like, it's literally, no, it's literally lifeless, it's just, it's just like, I was like, I was kind of, I was like, wait, I thought that was filled up, how does this thing work? And then there's this big, like, cotton candy-looking machine. It kind of looks like that drum cage there, but it's full of all of this pure, pristine white cotton. And now you pick it, and you go to the person, the sales associate, and they ask you, and they say, they ask my kids, hey, what level of squishiness do you want in your bear? Do you want light, medium, or heavy squishiness? And I was kind of proud of my kids. They go, you know what, we're going to go medium squishiness. And I was like, man, that's what I would have done. That's wise. That's wisdom right there. So then, then all of a sudden... Under no effort from this bear, bear was just there. Bear couldn't save itself. Under no effort of this bear, somebody walked in and chose it. And then what happened? Pumped it full of life, man. This vacuum just boom, just filling this thing. And all of a sudden, this, this bear that was lifeless is all of a sudden filled with the substance, a pure white substance. We talked about this in Ephesians earlier, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that God, the holy, the pure, the white Holy Spirit, fills us up. And all of a sudden, we're filled with something that, that wasn't there before. And that's how we're brought from death to life, is God fills us. And so this bear's getting pumped full of all this stuff. And, then, and that's not the end of it. Okay, so the bear gets, boom, filled up. And all of a sudden, he's brought to life. But then the, the lady says, go pick out some hearts. And so the kids go pick out a heart. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? And then, and then they grab a heart. And then she leads them in this really creepy ritual about this heart. And it's like, 
here's this heart, and then I'll hold it to your head, and it's like, we will only have, like, basically, like, your mind will be renewed, and I have my thoughts, and then I'll hold the thing to your lips, and we'll only speak kindness to one another, not to your heart. My heart, I'm going to place in your heart, and then the other one was to your shoulder. These are for sweet cuddles. And then, like, they're speaking, they're dedicating this heart, and then they said, now plunge it into the bear. And where the where thing is, and so they, they power this thing, the, the new heart, they give the bear a new heart. I'm reaping the build a bear it's the gospel, you know? And they, they plunge that new heart that they've prayed over, that they've renewed the DSA. I give you my heart, my thoughts, my heart, my will. My heart is your heart, boom. And then they sew that thing up, and that's and this keeps going. And then there's a cleaning station, and so the little kid takes them, so now go clean your. Your bear, your, bear was, your bear was dead, was lifeless, was, was dirty. So now there's a cleaning station. So they go over to this thing, this sink. But it's, it looks like water, but it's actually blowing air. And they have the sponge. And they're, they're scrubbing away all the impurities, right? Cleaning up. Bear, bear's just long for the ride, baby. And, he just, and, then, and then it gets better. And then they take it to the checkout. And daddy, daddy buys that thing. And now they have a legal claim. And they bring that bear home. They bring that bear home. That's the gospel. Go to Build-A-Bear, man, this afternoon, right? <laughs> That's the gospel, Right? They were an orphan. They didn't belong. Nobody made a claim on them. They were dead. They were lifeless. But God. But there came a day on, on April 7, 2023 for, for pudding and cuddles where Stephanie and Kelsey walked in and said, that one belongs to me. And I'm going to fill them up. And I'm going to give them a new heart. And they're going to come home with me. And that's what we're celebrating. That's Resurrection Sunday. Amen. The gospel in Build-A-Bear. Uh, the gospel in Build-A-Bear. Uh, who would have thought? And so it leads us to our second point, is how did he rescue us? How did he rescue us? Clearly we see that if we're dead in our sins and trespasses, it's Jesus who does the work, right? We can't take any credit for it. So it's God who saves us. Secondly, well, how does he rescue us? Well, three primary things we see in our text today is three things we see the activity of God mentioned. He made us alive, he raised us up, and he seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places. We've been made alive, we've been raised up, and we've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. So this sounds amazing, right? But you're like, what does that mean? Right? What, is, what does that mean? And uh, the image that came to mind was going back to this, this branch that's, that's dead and lifeless in the dirt. Unless a, a master kind of gardener comes who, who has a love for this, this branch and, and wants to graft it back into the tree, it's, it doesn't have a, a, a shot. But the second the master gardener bends down with his nail-scarred hands and grabs this branch, it's, brought to, it's made alive. It's brought to life. But then the question is, is well, well, where exactly is it going to get grafted back into the tree? Right? Where is it going to be seated? Where is it going to go in the trunk of the tree? And if you're this, if you're this, um, this, uh, this branch lying in your sins and trespasses, you say, okay, well, man, I lived, I lived a life like a fool. I, don't, I deserve to be on the lowest rung of the tree, just above the dirt, maybe still in the dirt. I, I'm not God's treasure. I'm God's trash. So, yeah, maybe he's made me alive, but I'm, I'm still wretched. I'm still miserable, and, and I just deserve to be a lowly servant down here. And in contrast to that, what we're celebrating today, what it says that God has done to us, he's, he's made us alive, but my heavens, he's raised us up. And then where has he seated us? He's seated us at the tippy-tippy-tippy top of that tree. He's seated us as high as we can be seated. We are seated with the Christ of glory, the King of kings, who's reigning and ruling right now in the heavenly places, above every ruler, authority, power, and dominion, above every name that is named. We're seated with that king. That's who we're seated with. Amen? It's wild. There is no higher seat for you to be sitting in. And here's the deal. You and I can tell how, what someone thinks about you if they have the choice on where to seat you. Exhibit A, weddings. All right? Uh, yeah. This is not a knock on anyone's wedding I attended at the church or whatever, okay? Because usually I've officiated all your weddings. But hey, 
But there comes a time where you get a, a, an invite to a wedding in the mail, and you're like, how did I get invited to that wedding? I haven't seen this guy in 10 years. Like, surely I was on your D list for invites, and, like, everyone canceled, and you've got to fill the spot. And then you go, and you're like, okay, I really don't know this person. And I didn't know we were that close that I'd be invited to his wedding. And so you go to the wedding, but you're at, like, you're seated at, like, table 40 in the balcony behind, like, a massive beam. So you can't even see the reception going on. And you're with, like, you know, the crazy aunts and uncles, like Steve from Shabogan, talking about a stamp collection. And you're just like, what is, what is happening right now, right? And you're looking at the bridal party, and they're getting all the, the good food and the good wine first. And, and you're the 40th table to get, you know, to get food and, and all this stuff. And you understand the, 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 the heart posture that somebody has for you of where they see you. And often, and the reason I want to highlight this is often we think, this is in our text, this is what scripture says, we've been, this is where we've been seated. Jesus has seated us at the bridal party table, not at C40 in the balcony. He's seated us with him. That truth is absolutely wild. You've been raised up to the highest seat in the universe, shoulder to shoulder with the king of kings. Why? Because that's where he wants you. He wants you next to him. He wants us next to him. That's why he died. That's what he took on flesh. That's what he came running for us through his cross and through the resurrection. Why? So he could raise us up and seat us with him in the heavenly places where he's seated. Um, you might be asking, okay, great, that, that, that has happened. I've been made alive and uh, I've been brought to new life. I've been restored to God. I've been restored to fellowship with Jesus in the spiritual realm. Yes, I'm seated here in Alexandria, Virginia, but the present positional reality of my life in the spiritual realm is that I'm actually seated with Christ, and that reality will one day truly be a seen reality when we are reigning with, with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. How did that happen, though? How did that happen? Well, let's look at these phrases. Again, I've intentionally left something out. These phrases will be on the, uh, on the screen. We are made, made us alive together, and then say it. Raise Christ. Next one. Uh, raise us up with him. Then the last one is seated us with, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? So four times, four times in our text, we get a person and a preposition mentioned. A person, and a, a person is named of what they did and a preposition with or in. Now listen, without the prepositions linking us to the person, there is no good news of the resurrection. If, there, if you are not with Christ, there, there's no, if there are no prepositions to the person and work of Jesus in your life, then there actually isn't good news. Let me illustrate it for you. So in November, I, looked, I had to look all this up. I'm not a gambler, okay? Let me just say that. Uh, so the Powerball, all right, good start. Uh, the Powerball last year was $2 billion, all right? It's crazy amount. It's the highest amount, I think, that they've ever historically, I hope they've ever had. $2 billion is Powerball. And a guy named Edwin Castro won it in November of 2022, November of last year. And uh, that's amazing for Edwin Castro. But there's no prepositions linking me to that guy. Didn't change my life. But all of a sudden, you, you throw a preposition between, you know, Edwin Castro and Nick Mudrizzo. That became a really good day for me in November 2022, right? If Nick Mudrizzo was with Edwin Castro, if I belong with Edwin Castro, if, if, I'm, if, I, if he's my brother, all of a sudden life got really, really good for me, right? So, you, so the good news of the resurrection is, is, yes, the person and the work of Jesus, but also the preposition that has linked us to him. And then that begs the other question. You guys are asking great questions this sermon. Well then, how do I get linked to this Jesus? If on the cross, Jesus is, uh, uh, took my sin there and he defeated my sin, he canceled my record of debt, that sin that separated me, so Jesus now is restoring me back 
to relationship with God. If at his resurrection he defeated death, so now I no longer fear death. Death is the great equalizer, as Saju said a couple weeks ago. We all are going to face death. And the million-dollar question is, well, what's beyond the grave, right? Every worldview, every person has to wrestle with these questions. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Origin, where did we come from? How did all this start? Meaning, what's the meaning to my life? Is there an objective, transcendent meaning to my life? Morality, is there right and wrong? Well, according to who? Is there an, an ethic that I should base my life on? And then lastly is the question of destiny. What happens, not if you die, but when you die? My dad has this line growing up, I haven't forgotten, I, I, I say it all the time in the pulpit, is there's two guarantees in life, death and taxes, right? That's our lot, right? We will die. So then, so then what, what awaits us beyond the grave? And that's what we celebrate as Christians is that our king is resurrected. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. And then when God raised up Jesus, he raised him up and seated him in the heavenly places. That's a warfare imagery, right? That means that now my other greatest enemy, the prince of the power of the air, the kingdom of darkness, is now defeated. Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil, so that now my king has toppled the other king, and I'm with this new kingdom that will be reigning and ruling forever. So death, the demonic, and our sins are all conquered. Jesus Christ alone has purchased our victory against our greatest enemies, humanity's greatest enemies. Jesus has conquered them. And so then that begs the question, well, how, man, do I get linked to Jesus? How do I get some prepositions in my life linked to Jesus? And the simple response, the simple answer is through faith, through faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And then the next question is, well, what is faith then? Here is a great definition from a, a biblical scholar about faith. People who, do, people who believe do not merely assent to certain ideas. That's not what belief is. It's just I intellectually acknowledge some things. They are bound to God and live in response to him. Paul's frequent use of phrases such as with Christ and in Christ show his conviction that faith joins them to Jesus so strongly that they are in him and that what is true of Jesus is true of them. Christ's past is their past, and he determines their present and future. And I love this last line. Faith, faith has an adhesive quality to it. It's beautiful. It binds the believer to the one who is believed. Let me illustrate it this way. Who here has seen 13 Lives? Anyone here know what 13 Lives is? It's free to watch on Amazon. I highly recommend you watching it unless you're afraid of water, dark spaces, and uh, tight caving, unless you're claustrophobic, all right? Uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a movie based on a true story about the uh, 13 Lives, uh, 12 high school uh, soccer athletes and their coach in Thailand. I think in 2018 they went caving. They went like 2.5 miles in the mouth of a cave. And um, it was monsoon season, so a rainstorm came, and it, and it filled the cave, so they couldn't escape. They were stuck 2.5 miles inside of a cave, these 13 lives, 13 individuals, and they were cut off from the source of life. There was no food. There was no water. There was nothing they could do in their own strength to save themselves. The oxygen levels were being depleted, and oh, by the way, the water was continuing to rise because it was monsoon season. And unless somebody took it upon themselves to rescue them, they were toast. They were essentially dead in their sins and trespasses because they were disconnected from all sorts of life. And then the story goes, is, uh, not story, but true story, is that there's this international team of divers who uh, go in and they rescue all 13 uh, of these, these individuals. And two uh, Navy SEALs from Thailand died uh, trying to save them, one in the waters and the other through a bacterial infection later because of how disgusting the water was. And there comes a moment, I'll spare you all the details, I'm glossing over a lot, but there comes a moment where the divers, um, it's like a five-hour journey roughly um, uh, through just, you know, pitch black, 
scuba diving through, through caverns and caves, and they, 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 they peek out of the water, and they, they, these divers descend into the brokenness of these voices. The only way they're going to rescue if someone descends and enters into their brokenness. And they, they poke their head out of the water, um, and they have a message of salvation to offer, a good news to offer. Hey, this is who we are. We're expert divers, and, we, and this is what we can promise to do for you. We can bring you to salvation. We can rescue you, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to sedate you. We're going to give you anesthetic, ketamine. You're going you're gonna to go lifeless. You're going to be limp. We're actually going to, they didn't tell them all this, but they make them go limp first. They tie their hands uh, behind the zip tie their hands and their legs, and, uh, and they drag them for, I think it was six hours on the journey back through the cave. Crazy, right? But here's the deal. This is what faith looks like. There comes a moment where those divers come, and they've never met these divers before, but they've surveyed what their future looks like, and they're amazing. They haven't eaten in, in, in a long time. Um, and they have a decision to make. Do I believe what this person is saying? Do I believe that this is who he says he is and he can do what he's promised to do? And if I do, the boy, all the boy has to do is say yes. Yes, and I give you my life. And then there's this beautiful moment where they say, yes, I believe you, so therefore I place my life out of my own hands and I literally place my life into your hands. And so you see this beautiful moment where the boys kind of lay down in the, in the diver's hands and they give them the shots and then they, and then they take them to glory. And then, so this is a beautiful picture of the gospel where Jesus Christ in his incarnation, God who took on flesh and came running for us, he has to, to enter into our brokenness. He comes and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom, that there's salvation, there's rescue from those stuck in their sins. And then for everyone who believes, everyone who says yes to Jesus and gives them their life, Jesus says, great, give me your yes, I'll take care of the rest. And then binds you to Jesus. Now Jesus has his hand on you. And, and then what does Jesus do? He goes before you. He takes you along for the ride. He takes you actually through the cross. He goes back through your waters of death. And then, and then what happens in his resurrection is just like this diver, he comes out of the waters first. It's the resurrection. But the good news of Resurrection Sunday is that, is that, yes, Jesus has risen, but he hasn't risen alone. He's taken us along for the ride. He's, he's got a long line of billions upon billions of people that when Jesus has, has come out of the water, well, guess what? A lot of people have been tethered to him, irrevocably so. And so then it's body after body in the resurrection of Jesus raising these dead people up to life. That's what we're celebrating. Is, is, yes, he's risen, and yes, he's, he's risen with us. He's taken us along for the ride. He's taken you through the cross. He's taking you through the empty grave. He's taking you to where he's been seated. He's rescued us. Yes, he's risen, and yes, we've been risen with him. And evidence that there's life beyond the grave is that just as Christ historically rose from the grave, you and I will as well. There is beautiful implications of what he's done for us. And so then the, the million-dollar question is, is, are you with him? Are you with him? All he needs is your yes. You have to agree with with man, I need help, I need a savior, I need to be restored back to life, and it's just grace. All you have to do is say, yes, I take my life out of my own hands, I don't want to be God over my life anymore, God, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to place my life in your hands, that's all he needs. That's what he needs, and then he does the rest, and boom, your life is changed forever. Jesus said, I came to give you life, and life abundantly. Make that decision today, I got to move on here. The third point is this, why did he rescue us. We talked about who, we talked about how, now we talk about why did he rescue us. And what's crystal clear in our text is that the reason God did all of this is because of his inexplicable, indescribable, and immeasurably, and, and, and immeasurable mercy, grace, and kindness, and love towards us. If you look at the verses again in Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, we see God described. 
A lot of us have false views of who God is. And what we see today in the Bible, which is God's revelation of his nature and his character and what he's done for us, we see God himself telling us, I am a God who's rich in mercy. I'm a God who's abounding in great love. My kindness towards you is immeasurable. That's the nature of God. He is a God of love. Brennan Manning has this great quote. He says this, I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. Don't you love that imagery? That's what he's saying. He's like, hey, you want to figure out God's love? Take a measuring cup from your kitchen cabinet, get a boat, go to the, the base of Niagara Falls, and try to hold, hold a cup to it. Oh, this is God's love. Are you sure? Because, because uh, in verse 7 it says this, So that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. What that means is that the, 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 water, the cascading waterfall of God's avalanche of mercy and kindness and peace and joy and love that he wants to show us in Christ Jesus, that he died to show us for all of eternity, it's eternal. How do you measure eternity? How do you measure eternal love, eternal kindness, eternal, eternal grace? You can't. That's the whole point. You'd have better luck holding a teacup to Niagara Falls than comprehending the wild, uncontainable love of God that he might, verse 7, that he might show. Isn't that beautiful? This is God's nature. And, and, and he's saying, and I want to show, I want to show you what I'm like and my love for you to the ends of the earth. This is who our God is. This is what he's like. This is his heart towards us. And here's what we know about love. Love always chases after the object of its affection. Love always chases full sprint after the object of its affection. Let me prove it to you. Close your eyes. Imagine with me you just lost your phone. Yeah. There it is. You feel that. Oh, my gosh. Where, where did I leave it? Some of you running out the door, right? In the car. Somebody at church stole from me. Well, you know, what's, what's happening? i got to find it. You're turning over couch cushions. Anyone here lost their phone for a significant amount of time? I have. And you realize how much of an idolater you are and how much forgiveness you need as, as you, you're turning over every, you know, stone in your backyard to just find the object of your delight, the object of your affection. You seek it out. You search for it. You call for it. You chase after it. And what we learn here is the evidence of somebody's love for you is shown in the heights, the lengths, the depths that they're willing to go in order to obtain the object of their affection. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. God has manifested his love. He has revealed what he is like, and this is how he's shown it to us. He's sent on a rescue mission. The resurrection is God's rescue mission for us. He's sent his one and only son into the world, into this broken sinful, dead, depraved world. He sent his son on a rescue mission into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this now is the ethic we live under. This is why we as Christians should be known for our love and our kindness and our compassion. Why? Why? Because of this right here. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if we were to ask, why did God go to such heights and lengths and depths to rescue us from our sins and, and bring us back to him? The answer that we see in scripture is for some unfathomable reason, he delights in us. He loves us. So that where he is, you can be 
for all of eternity. And he loves us to the extent that Jesus would take the hit for you and I. He would take his sins upon, your sins upon his shoulders and march towards your cross to pay the penalty that your sins deserve so that you can go free, so that, so that in the coming ages you can be dwelling with him, feasting at his table forever. The resurrection was God's, was God's rescue mission to bring us back to life and bring us back home. True love runs after the object of its affection. And God's love for us is shown in how he came running full sprint for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I will uh, conclude with this band. You can come on forward, uh, play, play lightly in the background. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up with this. The resurrection shows the heart of God towards us. The resurrection shows the heart of God towards us. Often we have a, a skewed view of God's, God's heart for us. We think that God is just perpetually angry. He's disappointed. He's scowling at us. He's kind of doing that thing, you know, like where you sigh. Just, uh, again, are you serious? I'm tired of this. That's often our view of God. And the reason why that's our view of God is we know in our sober moments, we know that we've done wrong. We know that we need grace. We know we've fallen short of his standards. We haven't loved our neighbor. We haven't even loved our family the way God's told us to, to love our family and serve them and love our wife and love our kids, right? We've all fallen short. And so we know that. And so the result of that thinking is, well, God is, is mad at me. So it's probably, this is what we believe. God's angry at me. And so it's probably best that we just stay away from each other. Because I don't want to know a, a God who's just got a scowl on his face. And I think um, what shatters this thinking is the, uh, the beautiful story. The Lord brought this to mind. I'm going to conclude with Luke 15. The Lord brought this to mind to, to, to close with for this, this Sunday. It's the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And there's something in here I haven't seen before. It's beautiful. And the story of the prodigal son, Jesus is teaching us about the heart of God towards sinners who are repentant, sinners who want to come home. And in the story, Jesus shares that there's this son who took his father's inheritance early, which basically is in that, in that ancient context is saying, Father, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I just want your money. And so he takes the inheritance, and he goes to a far-off land away from his father's presence, and he lives a life of reckless abandonment and reckless sin. And he ends up homeless and starving, kind of eating what the pigs are eating is how the story goes. And this is where the story picks up. Luke 15, verse 17. But when he came, this is the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see? You see the thinking there? Is, is my father, when I come back, he's going to rip me to shreds. He's angry, and, and, but I got to come back. I got to come home. I don't want to be separated anymore, and I'll just come back not as a son, but as a lowly servant because that's God's view of me. That's what God's going to do when I come home. And instead, this is what Jesus Christ says about God, God the Father. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and what did his father feel? His father felt compassion. And he ran full sprint and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, 
You see the connection in our text today? But God, being rich in mercy, Luke 15, but the Father, the Father heart of God, he said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. This is my son. He's royalty. I'm going to make him alive. I'm going to raise him to new life. He's not going to be a lowly servant. The best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put new shoes on his feet. And you bring that fattened calf and you kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the heart of God towards sinners. That's the heart of God towards all of us today. That is why the resurrection happened. That is why we're celebrating the resurrection. It's not just the event. It's the event. Yes, it is the event, but it's the event that shows the heart of our Father. Right? And there's a quote that I'll I'll conclude with and then we'll pray. Can you throw up that quote, John? It says this. Left to ourselves, our guilty consciences only tell us that God is against us, that he is the God with the big stick. There is nothing to draw us to a God like that. But the cross of the Lord Jesus gives the lie to all this and shows us God as he really is. We see him not charging us with our sins as we would have thought, but charging them to his son for our sakes. What we thought was the big stick was really his outstretched arm of love beckoning us back to himself. In the face of Jesus Christ marred for us, we see that God is not against the sinner but for him, that he is not his enemy but his friend, that in Christ he has not set new and unattainable standards but has come to offer forgiveness, peace, and new life to those who have fallen down on every standard there is. That's the hope of Jesus. That's the hope of the resurrection. That's the heart of God towards us today is that if you are in need of forgiveness, if you're in need of mercy, if you're in need of of a new life, there's a God who's rich in mercy. There's a God who's slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love and compassion. Let's all pray. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. And let's go to this God in prayer. So Father, we thank you, Lord, that you, God, are abundant in your kindness towards us. That what you clearly teach us in your word is that when you see us in your sin, it breaks your heart. You feel compassion. And that compassion motivates you to run. Run not away from us, but run towards us to bring us home. And there's story after story after story after story of people in this room, of lives that you have changed because you came running for them in their sin in their brokenness. You came and you rescued us from ourselves and you brought us home. You've restored us to new life, God. Who are we that you would, you would treat us this well, God? We don't deserve it and yet you lavish it upon us. And so living God by your Holy Spirit who's present with us, I pray you'd minister now. I ask, I invite, we invite your presence. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister to hearts right now? Lord, you're hearing all the prayers that are silently being prayed in this room right now. And I know that you're you're speaking, you're wooing, you're inviting. You're saying, come back home. There's a feast that awaits you. It's all true. It's all real. I've had my eyes on you before you were born. Come home, the Lord is saying to you. Don't hold back. 
I'm better than you could ever imagine. I'm kinder than you could ever imagine. I can do for you what you can never do for yourself. Do you trust me? Come back home. Come running. I want to clothe you with, with a royal robe. I want to put a ring on your finger. I want to put new shoes on your feet. I want to celebrate with you. I want, I want you seated at my table. That's my heart towards you. Come home is what the Lord says. love you, Lord. We celebrate your love, your resurrection, just screams of your love for us. It's a rescue. We've been rescued. We've been tethered to you. As you shot out of the grave, Lord, we're tethered to you. We're resurrecting with you. We're seated with you, Lord God. So we love you, and we bless your holy name. And all God's people said,